I said, what you know about it? It's the stool, baby. Got the knees in plus. Young stool, baby. And the room a lot. Hello, you're listening to The Stew. My name is Jason Stewart. This is my food podcast, Andre Conoparo. Say hello. Hello. One guest today, our our old friend, Farley Elliott. What's my guy. Up? What's up? What's up? Yeah, we were Solid. a few weeks ago on the episode with John from Cato. Mm-hmm. I remember we mentioned, mentioned, we made fun of your name, but I, we had already been in talks of you coming on the show, so yeah. it was like a little foreshadowing. Yeah, I did. I came on to kind of restart some beef. I wanted to get <laughs> real testy, real early, and kind of stay that beef. way. Yeah, yeah. I'm, we squash it, and you're about. You're yeah, like, I'm ready to get it. I'm not it done going. Yet. Double well, he, up. He put a gun on the table when he sat down yeah, in front of the yeah. microphone. That's yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. That's a very like that's that happens on move. my other podcast, but not on the food one. Not on this much. one. I love merging all these worlds. <laughs> like I look unassuming. You know, it's the button up. It's like the hair that every white guy has. But then I just show up with a gun at your table and that's how you know yeah oh wait so you, you kind of shift in the chair a little bit and you're like oh, oh let me get the okay cool yeah oh, my back's hurting me oh, it's just my that? glock nine and and also he he removed his shirt with a full yakuza body sleeve which <laughs> yes. we, none of us saw it or we didn't expect that at all yeah. there's some good classic hollywood stories of people doing that in like pitch meetings of like bringing a gun? Yeah, of like mm-hmm. getting like not like kind of not threatening the room, yeah. but like getting doing that thing where you sit down and you're like you shift and you're kind of like oh right and then you just put a piece on the table. Oh mm-hmm. my god, it's pretty good. And then they're like, are we gonna get Will and Grace done or what? Yeah, exactly. yeah. We better be bringing it back. <laughs> Click. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> season eight, pretty much. <laughs> we uh, yeah. Sorry for making fun of your name. It's a great name. No, man. no, it's okay. It's okay. I've uh, I've heard nothing but mispronunciations and bad dumb things about my name literally my entire life every uh-huh. every dad of a woman i've ever dated has been like harley for the first four years that i've really? dated <laughs> yes. right. yeah, yeah yeah harley is much more common i have people who tell me that their dog's name is farley and i'm like well he seems like a cool dog like, yeah, what do you that's... want me to say like <laughs> i don't that's know always such a good response when you're like oh i've got a friend whose horse name is farley and you stare blankly into somebody like <laughs> cool whatever when everybody somebody tells you about a pet they know that shares your name yeah. it's just like it's like i made you think of a horse it's, it's like the same thing as when be like oh i've got a friend named bob too and yeah you're like, oh cool i also have nothing to talk to you about yeah Jesus yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, so Farley is the uh, senior editor of Eater LA, correct? Which is a website that people go to for food stuff. Hopefully, yeah. Not, I like to think so. And then we've had Matt Kang on, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. is the he's like the overall city editor. So Matt's Matt's my boss. He, so is he the top dog? And then you're right under because because so there's, there's editor and senior editor. Break yeah, me down. yeah. I'll break the whole thing. So there's there's a 24 city sites across America. Mm-hmm. We have one in London now too. So our national office is based out of New York, and then there's a bunch of autonomous little city sites that all report to the national office, but have their own city leads and that kind of stuff. So Matt is that guy. He's full time. I'm also full time. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt was doing the gig before I came on. I was freelancing around at a bunch of other places, and then he 
he hired me, and so now we kind of run in tandem. We do different jobs, which is to say Matt runs the overall direction of the site. He's also doing a lot of the admin sort of stuff, like dealing with freelancers. He does a lot of getting scoops and having relationships with people the same way that I do, and I'm more of just kind of the boots-on-the-ground writer type. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a part-time associate editor whose name is Crystal Kozer, and then kind of a stable of freelancers, photographers, things like that. Looks like we've got to get Crystal on next. Got to get Crystal on. She's fascinating. I mean, her, her whole backstory, she runs a catering company. She's got a lot on her plate, but she's rad. Wow. Okay. She's got a lot on her plate. Ugh. So you, uh, can, you can just hear, you can hear the sex coming through the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been a food writer freelance for a long time, and then you yeah. finally sold out to the corporate man? Yeah, that's exactly right. I can't imagine. They give you a, f- a damn laptop. Why I mean, wouldn't you? If if the version of like being corporate is everyone constantly terrified that all media jobs are going away and uh, <laughs> and and like not having an office to go to, I'll take being corporate any day of the week. Absolutely, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I used to have a day job, uh, like a sort of nothing random office job, for like four and a half years in L.A. And I would do a little bit of writing on the side, and then a little bit more writing. And eventually, I got to the point where I thought that I could make a go of it. My first year, I was, you know, made $15,000 or something like that, just so dead broke, poor, taking any free mail I could, like playing that strategy hard, Mm -hmm. and then started to get more work and eventually started making a life out of it. I had a book that I wrote two years ago now that um, is all about the history of street food in Los Angeles. That was kind of one of my first beats. And so I was getting through that book deal process and needed a place to kind of anchor instead of being so frenetic and writing at all these different outlets all over town. So I decided to come in-house at Eater. I'd been freelancing with them for a little bit, and they were kind enough to hire me full-time. And it's interesting because it's a different shift. Like when you're a freelancer, you go one place, tell one story, and leave. But when you're the Eater guy or the stable of Eater guys, you have a business card that says Eater, and you go places all the time. I'm not anonymous. Mm -hmm. My job is to make connections and to always be out in the world so people tell me things Mm -hmm. and that was a big shift for me that first year was just being in restaurants as much as possible and shaking everybody's hand and smiling and handing out business cards and it's Mm. hopefully is you know paid some dividends down the line but it was a big big twist from what i was normally doing you seem like you could be a good schmoozer i I love a schmooze we haven't we haven't spoken very long but you you've got a quick tongue yeah yeah, it's good. I feel like that's real. That's a real important part of the whole deal. Yeah, and I think we all contain multitudes, right? Like there's there's different versions of us for any given occasion. I can I can be the schmoozer with like the old folks. I can be like the run and gun guy who loves to tell dirty jokes. Like I can be the smart guy in the room. Hopefully, like any of that sort of stuff can play, and it's all part of your. Are you the kind of guy I could maybe have a beer with sometime? Hey, <laughs> let's just get out of here. <laughs> They're not all mutually exclusive, too. I right, mean, I exactly. think people sometimes create such a specific identity for themselves where they can't be something that they're not all the time. And it's, mm-hmm. that's just, you know, I mean, you, and you then, can roll and then like you that, go home and lay on the out. floor and stare at your ceiling when you're alone. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, uh, what's the, that, you have many faces, but what's the real Farley? When Farley is, when Farley is home alone, the wife's gone, the dog has been put to sleep. Are you binge watching TV, playing video games? Are you reading? Are you, are you wearing cooking? a kimono? Are you doing all of those things? Honestly, I'm doing probably none of those. None things. of those things. Um, Just cleaning your guns. I, well, I, I don't. I don't watch. To, I don't watch guns. a ton of TV. I don't. I like cooking. I don't cook at home a ton just because yeah. I'm out so much for restaurant stuff. Mm. Probably, you know, two out of every three meals at least in a given day, and then that's wow. not including like you know 
bang bangs and nights where you start somewhere and end somewhere else. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't get the opportunity as much to cook at home. But I, I don't know. I like reading. I watch a little football. I try to be a pretty yeah. normal guy. But I truly, truly, truly love restaurants. I think being in a restaurant is so fun. I started describing it to people like my parents. Like my dad lives in far, far northern New York, right on the Canadian border. And that whole side of my family are literally all lumberjacks. They're, mm-hmm. they're in the woods, climb trees, cut down trees. I'm the first person in my family to go to college, like all that stuff. And so to explain <laughs> what I do is very hard to somebody like that. Sure. And the way that I've started describing it to him is like... What do you do over there, Hollywood? Yeah. Like Hollywood is like absolutely <laughs> what I get, 100%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And I, I say to my dad, you know, uh, he, he'll, he'll be like, yeah, but isn't it just your opinion, like food stuff? And I'm like, first of all, I'm not a critic, which is its own separate thing to try right. to dissect. But like, it doesn't have to be. My dad has never taken an acting class in his life, but he knows when he sees bad acting on television. Mm-hmm. And so like the real fun stuff is when you get to go to a restaurant, it doesn't matter who the coolest person that sits down next to you happens to be, whether it's George Lucas or the Sultan of Brunei. Like they're not going to get service that is that much better than you are because the restaurant just is what it is. It has the players that it has. So even if people know who I am and want to be nice to me, like my restaurant experience is basically the same as anybody else's. And where else can you go for a little bit of money and people People come and they put a napkin in your lap and they pull your chair out for you and they serve you hot food and when you want more wine, they bring it to you and it's this seamless transaction that happens for the entirety of the time that you were in a restaurant. Like, how fucking fun is that? Why mm-hmm. wouldn't you want to do that all the time? And so that's what I try to do. This guy, this guy paints a picture and... <laughs> You're making, yeah, you're making me want to go to a damn restaurant That's right, right now. Any yeah. old restaurant. Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing. I should go to a restaurant. They sound amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's the bill at the end. And sometimes we have bad experiences. And you'll leave a restaurant and be like, well, the food was fine. Like, what didn't I like? And I think it's usually because people find that the, the normal process of a restaurant, they come, they drop your silverware, they clean your plates, they ask you if you want more water. Like, when something gets out of rhythm, where three of your table mates all get their food and you're left waiting 20 minutes for your last dish, like... Mm. That's what creates a really bad restaurant experience. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that sticks with people because it's outside of that normal, beautiful rhythm of a restaurant that we mm-hmm. all know and love. It's an error. Yeah, yeah. An it's unforgivable like a little... error. <laughs> well, that's you got to get that gun out. Do you hold, do you hold a grudge when, they, when a restaurant messes up? Like if, you, if like if you go to Kismet and it sucks, are you like, I'm never going back there again? Or will you be like, you know, I'll give, them a, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they made a fumble and I'll go back and give it another try. You know, it's it's... I would say it's less of holding a grudge and more of like, there's there's already more restaurants in Los Angeles County than I'll ever, ever, ever get to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably about 50,000 street vendors in greater Los Angeles County. I've been to 650. That's an insane number, but I'll never even... How many of those are weed, though? Oh, I mean, 629. Right. So pretty much all <laughs> of them. Um, but no, like, I... I there are restaurants that I'll go and have a bad time and I'll just go, okay, I'll probably never come back here because there's so many other options and, and I need to yeah. have been to a lot of restaurants. I feel that same way about a lot of things in life. Yeah. Uh, there, there's so many movies that are amazing mm-hmm. that I don't need to rewatch a movie more than once. It's not a grudge. If it's I just read like, a book, okay. I'm never going to read it twice <laughs> right. because movie... there's so many other books to read. Yeah. Do you just have a pile outside of your window in your bedroom where you finish something and immediately throw <laughs> it out your window? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I mean, you should. It's a good way to live. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. I laughed when you said kismet because it's like you won't let it go. And so the, I don't know. Theme. I don't know if you've heard. I was hoping the podcast that you would talked about it. But he went to like the soft opening of kismet and mm-hmm. thought it was okay. Okay, like like not bad. Sure, but 
it was like, no, it's okay. Yeah. And now he brings it up as the example of a place that is so bad he'll <laughs> never return to, to or try again. And you have not you have not been back since soft opening, right? That's correct. Got it. Got it. I mean, but now, but it's like a joke. Yeah. But now, now, want, now it's it's got its own life. But now it's I want to have my birthday there, so he has to eat there again. <laughs> oh, I'm, I don't know if I'm welcome through those doors. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. It's they so probably funny. heard enough to know it's your so, photos in the back so for funny. sure. That's fine. But I wanted to walk it back a little bit because probably if anybody's listening to a food podcast, they go on Eater, they read Eater. But Eater is almost unique in I feel like the breadth of what it covers because you mentioned you said things like scoop and I'm not a restaurant reviewer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys cover everything from new openings new spaces, people going out of business, Mm -hmm. the top lists of the best you can eat. My favorite eater headline is when a car crashes into a restaurant. That's that's a a real subgenre of what we do. But it is a significant subgenre that people have made fun lists out of. No, but I mean, it's kind of like... How do you... And you don't have to pigeonhole it, but like, if you were going to try and describe, is it like everything in one bag of food in Los Angeles? I mean, because sometimes it can get a little dirty and a little Mm -hmm. dishy Mm -hmm. and like a little salacious, almost like like a food gossip rag. And then there's high-profile things of the best dining of L.A. that you're the first to Play know. a lot of high and low. You can get a little TMZ-ish. Yeah. But well, then he, you can he, get a little high-minded as well. Here's a way to think about it. We're not running out of internet. Like, I can write right. as much as I want or as little as I want, and, and if one headline appeals to somebody and doesn't to another, so be it. I want as many people to read my stuff as possible, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I'm also interested in a variety of ways to cover this industry. Talking about food and restaurants in particular is talking about immigration and wage issues and mm-hmm. uh, produce and all the sort of stuff that I'm sure everybody on here has already <laughs> talked about. But, like, it's true. So I... If I can keep finding new and cool and interesting angles to talk about something, that's all I really want to do. There was definitely a time, 2015, 2014, 2013 Eater LA, that was like pretty gossipy. And that was uh, a time when I think restaurants were really, really first starting to take off in Los Angeles. And there was a lot of being in a sort of embedded, almost gonzo-style reporter and talking about the behind the scenes in the kitchen what's going on. I do think we've moved away from that a little bit, but not completely. That's yeah. still sort of at the core of what we do. And the rest of it is is just what I say is being a, a restaurant journalist. I, I go to City Hall and pull filings for business reports to get information on places that are happening. I work sources. Sneaky I little scoops. son of a gun. Yeah, I do all the normal stuff that any other journalist would do, but I also happen to have the purview of my coverage be restaurants, which is a physical space I can be in, and so I go out and enjoy them as well. So I think it all just sort of falls under this big, great capsule of being an enthusiast and, and a booster for the restaurant scene in Los Angeles as a whole. It's so interesting, though, be, to hear you describe that, and it makes so much sense it just like click just the anecdote of going to city hall and pulling public records to find things out i mean that's like journalism 101 yeah but to approach food in a way that's not approaching it like you had a food blog in 2005 and mm-hmm. now you work for like a food website and there's nothing, i'm not dissing i'm not knocking that i mean i think there's room for everything um but to Except approach like that charcoal ice cream don't to, want that yeah i mean to approach that the the scene in la of food with such an investigative um, perspective is, I guess uh, there's no reason why it didn't occur to me, but of who, course, who, and that makes uh, so much sense. Could you name one of your journalistic um, inspirations, like maybe non-food? 
Food ooh, and non-food. Ooh. See, this is interesting for me because I didn't come from like a journalist background at all. I didn't mm-hmm. go to journalism school. I'm not a journalism major in some college. Mm-hmm. I just a guy who do you have like, a small notepad that flips over vertically like I that? I don't. I do have a fedora, but I don't wear it out. It's, <laughs> a, house, it's a house only thing. Mm-hmm. My wife loves it. Uh, no, it's, it's wear nothing but the Dora. That's right. Yeah, just the text. Mm-hmm. Meet me at the Dora in the Dora. <laughs> that's it. We have Dora, Dora Explorer playing in the background. It's yeah. a whole theme night. It's the only yeah. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. But no, like we, I, I didn't come from that background, and so I didn't have a ton of like pure journalists that I look up to. The guys that I started reading early on were like uh, the Nick Solaris of the world, the Kenji from Serious Eats, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of these people who I think approached food in a different and more unique way. And I was never the guy who had a ton of money growing up to go spend at restaurants, so it was always like a special treat. Mm-hmm. And to find dudes who who were talking about restaurants and talking about food in a way that seemed absolutely approachable but still massively interesting like that was my gateway in sure and then you get into like subgenres of people that you read about because you're most interested in one particular topic a guy like i i feel like i say his name all the time a guy like jean varive at the la times like writing about craft beer like he was the first person that i ever wrote or read that i was like oh this makes sense to me it's not just like a bunch of dark like uh pale dudes in like a no light warehouse brewing beer it's like Guys who can talk really smartly about a thing the same way that we talk about wine or liquor or anything else. John mm-hmm. Reeve is one of those guys. I think Bill Esparza, what he's done for street food in Los Angeles, is one sure. of those guys. Like people who and just he's feisty have, makes it he's fun. Super feisty. Yeah. And, I'm a dick. And, I like it. Yeah, and he has like a he has a passion for <laughs> a particular you, thing. <laughs> I, I think this is the move for you guys. You shout somebody out in a negative way, and yeah. then they come on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the game. Yeah, yeah. Come on, they that's really really score smart, out, Bill. Yeah, we got to neg him first. I realized I got negged, and now I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, worked. Yeah. It worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We both read the game. I'll yeah. let you borrow the book on the way yeah, out if you haven't read that's it yet. Smart. I'm sure there's a pile of them out of his window, so For I'll just sure. go grab one. You, uh, you mentioned growing up, not, uh, not as much money, so restaurants were mm-hmm. a treat, For which sure. is something, which is probably why now when you go to a restaurant, it's so enjoyable and special to be treated like, like that. But now that you are in the position to where you can have an unlimited assortment of free meals and PR <laughs> dinners and, Emails in your inbox like, saying, come to this, come to that. Does that... And I, I talked to people about it, like uh, Helen Holliman, who was on last week, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Munchies editor. She was like, you would, you would think that it would never get old being invited or having to go to these crazy elaborate dinners with right. eight wine pairings per course and everything, but it fully gets old. Yeah. Do you find the same way since you grew up so poor? Well... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. You're uh, getting to know Jason. We came from, uh, we came is, from the gutter. No, I love it. getting to know Jason. I love it. Uh, uh, you're it. also not wrong. I grew up very poor. That's fine. Mo- most yeah. people grow up somewhere it. in the bandwidth of poor to like just doing okay. I, I grew up uh, getting quarters from the couch to buy a Del Taco. So I'm, I'm, That's it. The highest thing I can recommend is marry a girl from Orange County. That's the best I could have done Hell for myself. Yeah. Triggered. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm from Orange County. Oh, what part? Huntington Beach. Oh, yeah. My wife went to Modern Day, like did the whole thing. Oh, you should got that Modern Day yeah. money, baby. Say no more. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, my mom, my mom who listens all the time, her name's Karen. She, shout out she, Karen. Shout, shout out Karen. Karen. She, she's, she's currently in Huntington. Okay. So, you know, she, she's going to hear that Modern Day joke and it's really going to hit gonna for love her. It. She's going to love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you know, uh, one thing I always so feel, you're doing the Zach Brooks life plan is what it sounds yes, like. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I need to, I need to get a little shorter and probably lose <laughs> a little weight, and then I'm Zach Brooks. But uh, uh, <laughs> no, so uh, back to your question though, I, I definitely one thing I always feel like I need to clear up a little bit is like I, I'm one of five 
people, I think, who make full-time money writing about restaurants in Los Angeles. That's bonkers. Yeah. The second largest city in America. Such a vibrant dining scene. So I don't take that lightly. And I have the opportunity to go out to these same things that freelancers and young Instagram kids and everybody else goes out to. But I, I honestly try not to as much as possible. Like, save that seat for somebody else who needs it. I was that guy who took every free meal I could get because I didn't know any other way to get into these restaurants to even think about starting to cover them. Mm-hmm. But now I have a dining budget. Now I have a, I'm the guy with the eater business card. To go in and just take people's money all the time and leave is like bad for business. And I don't think it's a good look for the eater guy if six weeks later I'm like, hey, I heard you're opening up a new restaurant. And he's like, fuck you, you just want a free meal again. Like, right. So I try not to play that game as much as possible. Mm. I still eat out a lot, but I either do it on my own dime or the eater How much is your dining whatever. budget per month? I can't tell you how much my dining budget is. I'm a, I, that was kind of a joke question. <laughs> what be the last question that he's going to ask that you can't answer? Dining budget? No, no, Having no. a dining budget dream come true. It's, a, it's absolutely a dream come true. Yeah, it's a... To think of where I started, like I, I, everybody I'm sure has this story, but I got that first check that at the bottom said, you're getting paid for being a writer. And I was like, I would fucking frame this if I didn't need the cash. You know? right, like, right, right. I still feel that way and I still try to have that mentality. We're now at a place in the Los Angeles restaurant coverage scene where I, I think Eater is sort of largely winning that war. Um, and we try to be really good about the coverage that we do and really smart about the coverage that we do. But you know, most new restaurant things that you are hearing about, you're, you're hopefully and usually hearing about on Eater first. But that doesn't mean that I want to get complacent or that I want to go start strong-arming people or demanding things. Like, There's a way to go about doing this business where you can still be smart, you can still have fun, you can still get people on your side in a positive way, and then turn around and flip that to the consumer and have them enjoy every moment of it too. Is there something, without naming names, like is there an example of something that Eater has that is newsworthy or at least you know people care about that you won't run for a reason? Uh yeah, definitely. Um, I think personal issues uh, that, that people have, uh, there's a certain subset Kitchen of, of our... fighting. Yeah, or... there's a certain subset of our readership that I think would be interested in that sort of thing. Like people who migrated over from like the early Chowhound days and are now reading Eater every day or always were. But I, I don't need to play that game. We'll also, we don't like to hold stories, but I'll, I'll hold information at any given time in my back pocket that might screw up somebody's lease negotiations for a property they haven't fully signed on, things sure. like that. And I, I think there's, well, as I said, there's a way to go about it that makes everybody happy. But ultimately, if I can secure the overall package of information, that's a win. So you guys know like Highland Park Bowl that mm-hmm. opened? Like I had a really good relationship with the people involved with that project, and we were able to get information before any other outlet first. So anytime you wanted to read about this revitalizing project in a neighborhood that was up and coming and something that seemed like it had a really cool bandwidth and was going to be a really big deal, you had to come to Eater first. And then we eventually drop it as this big package full of photos and all the information you could want, the backstory on one you know, Thursday afternoon. And that weekend... That story did 500,000 people reach on Facebook. That's one-eighth of the city of Los Angeles. Like, that's crazy. That's what happens when people can wow. work together and can like own and collaborate information in one right. source. You know, And having that ability and having that power just hopefully strengthens my relationship in a really positive way with any restaurant around town. Sure. Mm. That's incredible. Damn, one-eighth. One when you put it in that, in those, in those words, it really is powerful. You know, we're, doing, we're doing millions of page views a month. Like, they're... We're, I'm constantly trying to reach people who aren't my natural audience, and then right. will hopefully stick around because they realize that like everybody has at some level an interest in food and restaurants for sure. Do you ever do the Eater podcast? 
I have not done the Upsell podcast. Those they are re- New York. Yeah, the they New record York it mostly in New York. Yeah, and then usually because it's two eater people, they want to get like a third non eater person to sort of do coverage on. But I think I, there I should the be a separate one for LA and New York as well. We talked about it. I think it's something that could happen in the future for sure. And you, I think you should be the host. I oh, feel like you have a natural you. gift for it. That's very kind of you. To say. Way better than the those two that. other people on eater. <laughs> Whose <laughs> name I don't even remember. I, but you. To go back a little bit, mm-hmm. talking when you're talking about kind of like the privilege and the position that you find yourself in mm-hmm. and not losing the perspective of what it was like before you had those kind of options and a, a dining budget. I mean, it's interesting, you know, I'm so loosely uh, involved in food, just talking to a microphone on this podcast and we've done some pop-ups and I worked, I've waited tables and I've cooked in a restaurant and, mm-hmm. but... The as food gets bigger and celebrity chefs get bigger and restaurants and brands get bigger, I feel like there's a socioeconomic barrier to a lot of people that are, want to try food and get excited about it. And there's assumption about from people in food that it's just like, oh, of course you, oh, you haven't eaten there yet. I mean, that, the yeah. idea of like you that you haven't eaten there yet, where it's like, well, I can't. Like yeah. it's not like <laughs> this is not like I'm lazy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and I feel like. <laughs> sometimes it gets lost or forgotten that perspective. And I think it's really important. You right? haven't done Providence, but also exactly. <laughs> I went, cool. Listen, I went to Vespertine last week. Yeah, four people. That dinner is probably two thousand dollars out the door. Sure, uh, I'm not the one who touched the final bill, but that is not a cheap meal. Like I yeah. absolutely understand. And we're going to talk about Vespertine. Don't worry, baby. Please, let's talk about Vespertine. But uh, to your point, uh, I think that like. I wrote a book about the history of street food in Los Angeles. That's something that appeals right. to me. You know, the the argument over whether or not we should be paying a dollar for tacos and what that means for people at every level, whether the guy on the truck making your taco is making minimum wage or where the product is coming from, all that stuff matters to me. I think we try to do and can do a much, much better job even still of meeting people where they are, you know? Right. Uh, I did a big feature two weeks ago on the Lucky Boy Breakfast Burrito. Lucky Boy's been there for decades and decades. Yeah. That burrito's $8.99 out the door. There's a line of people every morning waiting for it. So I absolutely want And it's wanna, three meals. And it's, and it's three meals in one. Like, <laughs> yeah. I absolutely want to talk about Vespertine, and per my job, should be. Yeah. But I also want to talk about Lucky Boy. I also want to talk about Guatemalan street food in the heart of Westlake that people have been walking past for five years and never stopped and bothered to take a bite out of. You know, There's ways that we can include everybody. But to your broader point, I, I'm, I'm a white guy living in an urban city. There are things that I just will never even think to cover because I don't run in those proper circles. So right. uh, one big thing that Eater in general has been really, really harping on in a positive way is diversity and getting people into our newsroom. We just hired a part-time news reporter who's an older black woman who lives in Eagle Rock and I'm sure has a bunch of different associations with the restaurant industry that I don't even ever come across. And that's the sort of stuff. This The city is big enough for all of us. That's the sort of stuff that we should be leaning on towards more. And you want to talk about getting people that aren't naturally eater readers to come find us, that's the way to do it. Sure. It's not more of me shouting mm-hmm. about $5 hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned Bill Esparza and especially yeah. like what you see, Jonathan Gold has done an incredible mm-hmm. way of navigating local, kind of small, culturally specific eateries that are very approachable and very mm-hmm. like. And then he'll cover like a Noma pop up in Tokyo that he got invited to. So it's like you right, know, it's, right. you it's, know, it's a little it, bit of everything. Yeah, love that high and low, baby. <laughs> but again, they're not running out of internet. Jonathan Gold can do both, sure. and hopefully, people come around. It's it's all bandwidth. I do usually six stories a day. So as long as I've as long as I can sweat it out enough to put those stories into the world, hopefully they all have value for somebody. 
That taco, legalized tacos in L.A., that cover story on L.A. Weekly Mm -hmm. two weeks ago was incredible. Yeah. And getting right to the heart of, like, the issue of of street vendors and finding, because there's no legal outlet whatsoever at this point. There's there's no system to work within except just run when the cops show up. Mm -hmm. And decriminalization is not the same as legalization. Right. Uh, You know, the city has chosen to not uh, pursue charges against people so that they're not more actively involved in a possible deportation process. Yep. But that does not mean that anybody who wants to legally vend on the streets is able to do so. And the way that I describe it to people who, you know, I'm sure you guys all have these friends who are like, roach coaches, man, do you guys really eat off those? Like, the dynamic has changed a little bit, but five years ago, that was still the conversation. What you have to sure. explain to people is like, there's no Yelp for the guy in your corner who makes corn. It is about yeah. as low-key and unassuming as you can get in his only word of mouth. So the only recourse that that guy has where selling corn is maybe his second or even third job is to put out a good product, have those people who try it tell other people, and then enough people show up that everybody wins. But making somebody sick or selling a low-quality product, the people who were eating these things the first time around, the first customers, they know what a good version of that thing is. That's why they're there in the first place. And if it's not that good, they wouldn't come back. So you have to find ways to, like, these people want to do it right. They want to be involved in the process. They want to make quality food that doesn't harm anybody. And for the city to not take that up as a stance, especially in the current immigration age that we're living in, is ludicrous to me. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, not, not to do a full shift, but speaking of Jonathan Gold and mm-hmm. Vespertine, we, we, I want to get into Vespertine with the, the Jonathan Gold review yeah. that I'm sure we all read. Absolutely. Yep. What, and I, go ahead. Life and, on Mars? And every, like every, <laughs> like for the last month, for our listeners at home, Vespertine is a new restaurant that opened in LA like a couple of months ago. Yeah, six weeks ago, something like that. Um, and it's like a very, very crazy, avant garde, high concept, dark, strange restaurant. Like yeah, the it's, kind that like uh, Zoolander might make fun of or something like mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. and a lot of the reviews have been negative towards it or saying you know it's not not really drinking their Kool Aid so much. Well, it's also to back up real quick. It is it's performance art on a level where it's like from the second you get out of your car, the valet is doing something specifically to start mm-hmm. the journey and the mm-hmm. vision of this, and you're brought into places and you're sat in certain areas before you're seated at a table. So if anybody doesn't know this restaurant or hasn't read the Jonathan Gold review, do it. But it's theater. It's yeah. as much theater as it mm-hmm. is food from the get. I haven't been there yet. I'm okay. just basing it off of that. But it's but like... you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and it, is, it is unlike any restaurant in Los Angeles right now in both good and bad ways. The only thing that I will say, and, and I, I feel like you've heard about this from so many different angles that I don't want to give too much away because anybody who would go like... It deserves to enjoy their own version of the experience. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is a lot of fun and magic that happens at the place in, in a surprising amounts for something that seems so austere and dark. But it is, at its core, just a restaurant. Right. There's still plates. There's still spoons. There's still forks. There's still a guy who comes around and pours your wine. All those things we talked about at the top. And so some of the functionality of what it means to just buy necessity still be a restaurant really, I think, shows the cards a little bit for the place, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of a bummer. I, I think you hopefully will see them down the line transform even a little bit more if they want to into truly this quote-unquote place of shadows and whispers that they've been calling right. themselves since the beginning. Um, 
Because I, if I want to go all in and have a meal that truly feels like I'm dining on Mars, mm-hmm. take me there. Don't just give me a spoon to right. eat my soup. It's got to be something more than that. Well, look, my question is, and this is my takeaway just mm-hmm. from what I've read, but I think it wouldn't be getting the blowback that it is if it had a little bit of sense of humor or it had a little bit of... It's, it seems the complaints seem to be about its sincerity. Yeah. Like, and it's so over the top that it has kind of no idea of itself in a way that like of course you're just setting yourself up to get completely torn apart when right. you take yourself that seriously right mm. and I, I don't disagree with that and honestly i don't think jordan khan the chef would disagree with that either you know he's this kind of thin severe guy with like a swoop of black hair and he you know dresses in all black and is definitely playing the part of what this restaurant wants him to be and he sort of always has the one interesting thing i will say about that is in a way, when you're asking for a place to be sincere, you're asking for a place to have heart. Um, we are kind of basing it on our own notions of like eating at Nona's Kitchen and all these kind of things we've always been taught about restaurants. And I think being in Vespertine is probably as close to the uh, heart and soul and mind of one particular person, and that is Jordan Kahn. Yeah. So he basically created a restaurant for one person himself, and then he's letting other people come through and saying, do you like this slash do you like me? And if not, why not? So uh, I think that that's... Also, it costs $500. Yeah, and also yeah, it, costs it costs a lot of money to have that experience. And so you're not allowed to say, don't review us in week one, you know, Hollywood Reporter, because people are paying $500, and I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But I do think if you're going to go to Vespertine, you have to have in your mind this idea that you are working through somebody else's eyes. And if you can see the restaurant that way, the way that Jordan, I think, is trying to get people to see it, it does change the narrative a little bit from just being goofy to being oddly something that is like so minimally personal as right. to be only about one person. Mm-hmm. And that's its own sense of ego, but still. Well, I think you know, I've said this before on the pod and in varying degrees of articulation, but um, it, it's interesting. Like you talk to people that have eaten at places like Noma or really high end, mm-hmm. the conversation starts to be less about if it was good and it starts to be about kind of art and the memory of it. And yep. it's like, I've never heard anybody say at any of the most, ex- that have eaten at the most exclusive places in the world that that's the last place they want to eat at. Nobody's right. last bite is going to come from Noma. Right. But as an experience, it doesn't have to be the best food if it's art, if it's thought through, if it's presentation, if, it's, mm-hmm. if, if all those intentions are there and it's not just window dressing, then it, the food to me doesn't have to be like, something I don't know in his kitchen or the last thing I want to eat if that experience is something otherly. Right. And um, I, I think, interestingly, we, you can take it the other way, too. I wrote a story last year about this place called Art's Famous Chili Dog that's down in, like, South Central, Florence and Normandy. And that place has been there since, like, I think the late 1930s, early 1940s, and they claim to have invented the chili dog, which is like right. its own nebulous claim, but like is interesting to a guy like me. So I go down and sure. I check it out, <laughs> and I'm sort of finding out the history about it. And uh, it turns out this, this old white guy, Art Elkind, had originally put the hot dog stand back there. He moved out from the Midwest back when it was, you know, like Orange Groves and people who worked in the aerospace industry and all that sort of stuff. And over the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the neighborhood starts to drastically change to become what historically we've known South Central to be. So he dies in 1990. And in 1992, the L.A. riots happen. And there's this sort of famous video shot where there's an 18-wheeler that gets stopped in the middle of an intersection. They pull this white guy out, Reginald Denny, and they beat him in the middle of the intersection. Like, police are sort of powerless to do anything. And the footage from that, news footage, hovers over the truck and sort of does this big circle. And you can see Art's famous chili dog in the news shot. It's literally at that intersection that sort of sparked 
all of this racial tension that was happening in America mm-hmm. at the time. And it was from this white guy in a neighborhood that had become historically black. And then two years after that, his kids tried to sell it off because it wasn't a viable business. A guy who grew up 800 yards away, a black guy, married his high school sweetheart, runs a drug rehabilitation nonprofit in South Central, bought the place, and is still running it today. Mm. Now, that whether or not the chili dog is any good has absolutely nothing to do with that story. It's all about the history and the place and the sense of purpose. And like, you can go at either level. You can go with Vespertine or you can go with the chili dog place. As long as the, it has a story, as long as it means something to somebody, that's what's interesting, I sure. think. Sure, absolutely. So let's, I want to get your review. I mean, I, I thought the, uh, the Jonathan Gold review was the first one where it actually made me interested and hopeful and excited to try it, where yeah. everyone else was just shitting on it heavily. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Jordan Kahn does suffer a little bit from not being able to get out of his own way sometimes with the way that he tries to talk about his own perspective with these restaurants, and that gets hard. Um, we're also a pretty cynical culture, myself included. You know, it's easy to see mm-hmm. something and hate it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I had a, an experience at the restaurant that I would classify as, like, abjectly unique. It's, it's not money that I would choose to spend naturally, but I did have some food that was, like, absolutely amazing and there were some tricks and turns along the way that i thought were clever and interesting and things i'd like to see more of some of the food was was wildly off balance and it was insane but that's also (laughs) part of the spectrum right like i want bananas and peas together in the same way that i want the dish that actually works together so as long as you're willing (laughs) and you have the money and you know that it's a fucking five-hour experience go into it with an open mind and maybe you'll love yourself but if you don't ever make it there i wouldn't blame you Sure. Yeah. What was the best thing that you had there? They did this sort of like warm lobster butter thing. Part of the interesting way that it was presented was so much of it is this really heavy stoneware that looks like it was like formed in a volcano. And the way that they're, the bowls and stuff are organized, sometimes it'll be like a circle with like a, a bit of ribbing in the front. So you can't really tell like where to even put your spoon to find the food. And it's like, oh, I've never had an experience like that. Like so much of Instagram when you're looking at it is people oversaturating a photo and pushing something up as close to the lens as they possibly can. This restaurant in that dish is doing exactly the opposite. They're hiding it in a cave and they're asking you to figure it out on your own. Mm-hmm. And that's like cool and interesting. And you can immediately taste that it's lobster and be like, I know this and it's familiar and it's quote unquote mostly considered a luxury ingredient. And so it all fits in the tropes of a fine dining restaurant, but in a way that is like not trying to be in your face and like show the abundance of it at all. I mm-hmm. think that's really cool. I like that as well. Yeah. Any, anything to, you know, zig in when everyone is zagging, exactly. I say. Yeah. But it's that, you mentioned cynical and it's perfect. It's like that recipe of exclusive, expensive, and also kind of high art mm-hmm. that isn't for everybody. That is just like, that is the definition of people who are just going to tear it apart. A hundred percent. And it's kind of like, at that point, it's like kicking a horse or it's just like low-hanging fruit where it's like, yeah, if you're going to compare that to like... Something like Burmese food in San Gabriel Valley. It's mm-hmm. like that's not the argument. Right. Like that's like comparing a car to an orange. Yeah. It's like those aren't <laughs> the things that you do, and that's not the that's not the goal. That's not what they're trying to do. So yeah. you know, knocking something down for something they're not trying to do is a is a an exercise in futility and a bad review. Yeah, exactly. And and some of that comes down, I think, to. Um, 
to just having a good communication. Uh, I have restaurants all the time who, uh, for whatever reason, decide that they are unable or unwilling to like talk to me before they open, before they get the ball rolling, and then they're six months in, and maybe they're busy, maybe they're not, but they sort of decide, well, Eater could be a good thing for us, and they come mm-hmm. to me and say, hey, let's talk now, and I'm like, guys, you know, like I, I can find a way to try to make this work, but you've really limited yourself because you only get one opening. You know, you only get one chance to codify what you're doing and who you're trying to be and put that out into the world. And a place like Vespertine, I think, has an uphill battle because so much of what's been put out there is this weird, negative, bad storyline, worst photos, image thing. And then anybody who goes in and seems to have a good experience, I think Jonathan, by and large, enjoyed his meal, even if some things were bad. He was entertained for five hours. That's exactly right. What, what more 100% can you ask 100% entertained for five hours. Right. And so Vespertine with Jonathan Gold, was able to climb that hill and he could still get over it and realize that he liked the restaurant. But I think a lot of people won't even give it that chance, Mm -hmm. even if they go, because they've already got these preconceived notions because the communication that's up top has been so weird and and off-kilter. And that's what I mean about Jordan not being able to get out of his own way. There's a way he could have communicated that restaurant. There's a way anybody can communicate their restaurant idea that makes it approachable and makes people want to go. Whew. I think, I mean, also, Jonathan, you know, having read his reviews for the last, you know, I think I started reading him in early 2000, and that's when I got really excited about food in L.A. Um, but he's also got such a high art background in a way that I think he's, he's open and willing to experience something before trying to figure out what it is. Yep. In that way where it's like, oh, this is not what I expected it to be, so it's not good. Yeah. It's like, okay, and if things are out of the box or interesting but done well i'm not i don't know if vespertini has done it well it seemed like he thought so from his review it wasn't that and that review is not about food too yeah um i think he's someone who is so intelligent but also open and willing to experience new things and that that's someone who i think at least has the best chance to appreciate vespertine again the price tag to me is like what gets in its way more than anything right right the second you charge that much everybody's expectations are at a level that are impossible to meet for the most part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if money matters to right. you. Exactly. Some, for some, it's sand off a beach. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. Tuesday lunch, 500 yeah. but bucks. Like a, lot, but... a lot of people don't like Trois Mecs mm-hmm. right. for kind of those same reasons. But, but you know, certain people, if you have that open mind and you're like, I see, I, I thought they were going to do this, but they actually did this. And that's interesting to me. Or like going to like if Baru was expensive or something right. like that. It's, right. but it's a it's a playground where if yeah. you're really open minded, you could get dazzled. Especially for people like you or Jonathan Gold, or people who eat out at restaurants all the time, your level of excitement and your your nerve receptors are kind of burnt out because you're like, here's here's our version of beef tartare, and you're like, okay, let's yeah, see how yeah, yeah. But like, it, it's it's probably rare for you to have a full completely brand new unique experience when you're dining for sure i think that that's probably true for a lot of people even if they're not you know dining out as much as i am uh i think it's really hard to have a very very bad restaurant experience in the same way i think it's hard to have a very very good restaurant experience the truth is Mm -hmm. the dirty secret about this whole thing the restaurant industry my job all of it is that like most places are just fine or some version of just fine pretty good to sort of bad and you end (laughs) up going to those places because 
they remember you and they know your name because there was They're a pretty, close to your house. Yeah, close to your house. There's a pretty girl who used to work there, and so you used to want to flirt with her, and now she's gone, but you still keep going out of a sense of habit. There, I mean, all of it matters <laughs> when it comes to restaurants, and so they have Wi-Fi. Yeah, they have uh, the the intersection of like breakfast food, Wi-Fi, and coffee is like you'll find me there. Sure, I've either you just got left eggs? or I'm on my cool. way in. Like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so whether or not those places do the best scrambled eggs you've ever had, it's like. No, but I can use my laptop. And sure, like but me. they're my scrambled eggs. Yes. <laughs> but, but right, you you mentioned Chua Mac, and it's also they're not saying they have the best burger in L.A. Right. You know what? They're asking you to come and experience something mm-hmm. that they're they're curating. And at the end of the day, if you, it's like, but if it's a, a greasy dive spoon that says we've got the best burger, and they really have an incredible burger, it's mm-hmm. like. There you go. Everything else on the menu doesn't matter. Or I mean, mm-hmm. they're, when they're ac- accomplishing what they're saying they're doing, that's yeah. I mean, that's what it is. And that's what you that's what you want to get from a place. Yes. I want a place to give me the thing they say they're giving me. Yeah. And when they don't, then then I'm bummed out. Sure. Usually. Then I'm angry. Then I Farley pull out smash. A gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's do something relatable to you. Let's talk about football food because okay. yesterday was opening day. What yes. what are your top hits? What are your favorite things to eat? So you said fantasy league head. Yeah, so yeah. you're you're there. You're there for hours on a Sunday. Absolutely. You're well, watching all the games. You yes. got a reason to see them all. Yeah, I'm do I'm doing a lot of that. I will say my fantasy football league too is one of those ones that's like happens offsite in a house and guys are there all weekend and we do a live auction draft and it's a little bit intense with the sort of layering on of rules that we've done over the years. So great. We now see, this have, is just like so fun to listen to. This year was the first year. So if you if you get last place in our league, the rest of the league gets to come up with your team name. And you yes. also for that weekend are the guy who has to get beer for everybody. So great. Very appropriately known as the beer bitch. Um yeah. that you're the beer bitch. So this year we had a new guy who came in and a last place guy. So we had sort of two slots available for the lowest person on the totem pole. So uh we instituted a corn dog bitch. <laughs> So yes. anybody who wanted a corn dog made for them. That was my name in jail. <laughs> All weekend long has like, and the the guy uh, I won't say his name, but the, the guy it's like a pretty prominent sports writer who's like right. in my fantasy football league. And this year was like my corn dog bitch for an entire oh, weekend. That's so like, great. Breakfast corn dog. Did he have to wear the dog on a stick hat and hand dip to order? Because you know, that would have been fantastic. I, I sincerely <laughs> that might wish. be next yeah, year's rule. Tell me rule. more about this corn dog. It's next something year's we'll rule. look into. But yeah, like that's. Oh, to your point, like fried foods, dirty foods. Fried I, foods. Yeah, my Sunday, this Sunday, I'm going to go watch with a bunch of friends. We have an annual tradition of doing like a nacho off where everybody yeah. makes their version of nachos and we all collectively decide a winner. And like, that's fun. You know, it's it's big, rich, gluttonous, kind of hearty food, shitty beer. And you just are around all day with like a button undone and your hand down your pants watching football. It's great. Mm-hmm. That's that's my fantasy football Walk day me too. through your nacho then. Yeah. Well, we talked about nachos a lot. Wait, when does, when does this come out? This will come out tomorrow. Oh, I might be giving too much away. Oh, uh, well, no, 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 no. We'll do it. You know, hey, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because none of my friends like me and they don't listen to this anyway. <laughs> no, here's what I was thinking. I, I texted you guys before I came over. I was getting food at Homestate. Um, Homestate's yeah. a place I love for breakfast tacos, but I went for lunch because I'm thinking about doing a Frito pie. Yes. And now my question is, in the universe of nachos, do Frito pies count? I think yes, or I'm at least going to make a very strong argument for. I'm going to say no, they don't. Do you have a, do you have an argument against like as to why? I feel like I feel like the the fact that it's inverted, that it's a bag that you can't let go of. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel like any like 
a Frito pie is a dip, and then a nacho is a nacho. Like there's, you can have queso and chips, but those are not nachos. You're dipping right. something into it. So you have mm-hmm. a bag that you're dipping, you're dipping these Fritos into the chili with a fork and getting a little bit of onion and cheese and eating it with a fork. So I feel like a nacho or eating with your hand. Right. A nacho has to be an inverted thing on a plate where there's chips on things and it's melted, and then everything else is just a dip. But here's, so I have a. I have a different opinion on that, but with a qualifier. So I would say, is a Frito pie a nacho? Not really. But if you're Love kind Frito of pie, if you're though. going outside yeah. the traditional box of nachos, does a Frito pie have an advantage over other nachos? No, it doesn't. There's nothing intrinsically about a Frito pie that can't happen on a nacho mm-hmm. to an extent. Right. And I'm always of the feeling that if you're not cheating with a super ingredient or something like that, Whatever was your favorite thing to eat wins. Yeah. So I would completely allow it because there's no like there's no tricks up your sleeve that a normal nacho mm-hmm. or kind of like a a more traditional nacho maker can't get to. Yeah, it's all the same. Ingredients. So it's like it's yeah. not like you're baking a pizza nacho right. and being like, hey, here are my nachos. You're like, no, that's a pizza. Yeah. So you've got chips, you've got tomatoes, you got sour cream, you got hot sauce, you got pork cracklings like in the Frito pie or however you're going to make it. I mean, yeah. those are all things that go on a nacho. Yeah, exactly. And the way they do it at Homestead is it's all in the bag. So there's no really dipping. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that sense, the only real differentiator is, one, the style of chip is slightly different. It's not a triangle, tortilla, corn thing, but it is still a corn base. And but also... Frito is a very unique chip. Yes, but it is... I, I think you've got... Still a chip. You've got a corn flavor and a crunch texture that, to me, makes it like very adjacent to a regular fried tortilla chip. Mm-hmm. The biggest issue, the hurdle that I sort of have is like you eat a Frito pie out of a bag, as you said, with a fork. Mm-hmm. And I don't eat nachos with a fork. At least maybe scrapings at the end, but mm-hmm. initially nachos are supposed to be hand food. Yeah. So I'm either going to make everybody eat Frito pie with their hands and get real messy mm-hmm. or just staunchly make an argument that forks are allowed and everybody else can go to hell. I, I one one last mm-hmm. reason I think because the ratio of chili like I if if cheese was the main star and chili was the was the accompanying mm-hmm. ingredient then I might be more inclined to call it a nacho but it's usually yeah. the ratio of chili to cheese is much higher That's a very good point it's a very, very good point. But also, chili cheese nachos fit completely into a nacho contest. Right. That, right. That's, like, that, that's absolutely okay. No one, I can't imagine having a nacho contest and somebody being like, oh, there's chili on this? Disqualified. Like, <laughs> right. no way. But, it, but yeah. I'm not, not there. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I, have, I have another thing to bring up uh, because I, I love, this is stuff that I think real food people love. I went to an Olive Garden with a couple of people yesterday yeah. for the first time in seven, you, 17 so years, 15 years maybe. Does real food people mean like? People who want to talk about food in a very interesting way. Okay. Right. Um, the breadsticks and the salad. Yeah. No, it's, been, it's been 15 well, yeah. years, but like breadsticks and salad. When, yeah, 15 years. When's the last time we went to an Olive Garden? Ever? A long, long time, like high school graduation. Right, right. <laughs> no. So I went, and the food, basically at every level, was a sort of objectively bad. Right. And I got the taste of Italy. You know, it's the lasagna, yeah. the Alfredo, the whole thing, the chicken parm. And everybody that I was with were all food people. We were like huge smiles on our faces. This food is so bad. Mm-hmm. And like, isn't that fucking great? Like, if you really love restaurants and really love food, having a bad experience and loving it just as much, if not more, because it's bad, mm-hmm. I think that's fucking awesome. Well, that goes back to I, theater. I, all of right. that, 
that's like how all of my friends speak about soup plantation. Yeah. But I, I think the one thing that makes it not work for me is there is a consequence to it. Yeah. You, you, the way your body feels after you eat at Olive Garden is not good and you'll yeah. feel like guilty and bad that you're eating this shitty ass food compared to <laughs> right. other things. Right. So sure. like if there was no... Yeah. It would, I would be I would be laughing the whole time and having a bad like I would have be having a smile on my face if it wasn't for the fact that I just ate bad food right inside right. of my body that's like hurting me <laughs> and causing me to live a, like a little less yes. time on earth. Exactly. Where are you placing Cheesecake Factory See, at the same level or above? I place Olive Cheesecake Garden? Factory above two one, th- one th- shitty inch above it. I would say two things I'll say about Cheesecake Factory. They make more of their items in-house than you would think okay. for being a huge chain. Now, that mm-hmm. does not mean just because they make it there that it's any good. Right. But they do make – it's not just par-baking breads and that sort of stuff. They make a lot of more ingredients than you would think. Okay. Uh, a mutual friend who's like a manager at a Cheesecake Factory, and it's pretty surprising. Full disclosure. Full mm-hmm. disclosure. And <laughs> the other thing I will say about the Cheesecake Factory is like I think the real story of that place, and maybe it's been told somewhere else, maybe it hasn't. It's like you know, every kitchen in Los Angeles is run by like – a cavalcade of Latino guys who just fucking kill it every yes. night. Could you imagine that kitchen and those dudes who make the salads and the egg rolls and the burger and the steak and the chicken teriyaki? Like, mm. I want to talk to those dudes. Mm. I want to talk to the guy who can turn around and make me one of everything on that menu and put it out into the world and have the right person taste it and be like, this is exactly what I wanted. Yeah. What a magician. Yeah, because it's daunting enough just picking out what you're going to eat off that giant menu. Right, Imagine knowing how to cook everything on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, what kind of chef are you? Every. Yeah, I'll all. do it all. And, you know, like, the, and the defining, the defining characteristic of a good restaurant, or I mean, like, depending on whether you like it or not, is consistency. Yes. So he's got to make that whole menu the same every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... <laughs> that's a trip, right? <laughs> and then a, think about, conversely, think about a place like Baru. There's nothing over, I think, $13 on yeah. the menu. There's eight items total. They've almost never changed in any real meaningful way since the day they opened. It's two dudes in a strip mall who used to literally sleep there when they were first fermenting yep. everything. Like, mm-hmm. there, there are impressive levels at every single stop along the road to being in the restaurant industry. But I'm no more impressed by the Baru guys than I am the dude who is the sure. absolute ace in the hole at a cheesecake factory. Mm-hmm. It's backing up! <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, crack the knuckles, yeah, I got it. Like, I like. got it. <laughs> um, all right, we have some uh, some Twitter questions just to okay. smooth smooth things out. Do to you a Twitter back? Perfect ending. I got some Instagram questions. My Twitter was recently hacked. Ooh. No. Oh, it's so good, though. It's so good. I bet it's funnier when it's not you. I think it's really funny. Because <laughs> it was hacked by a jeans person, right? Or something? <laughs> yeah, it was. Ah, it's it was, so good. It's so good. I mean, sorry uh, for your pain. My, I'm sure my, you must have been gone through hell. My Twitter hell, was so. hacked on my birthday. Oh. I woke up to find my Twitter had been completely hacked. They... Uh, Took my password, locked me out. They unfollowed all of my friends and blocked them. I have zero followers, zero tweets. Which is like 20,000 people, Every friend of mine is blocked. So every single day since my birthday, I have five text messages from friends saying like, dude, like, I don't know what I did, but like, (laughs) if you want to talk, like, I'm sorry. And like, yes, it's it's been a full nightmare. So you still don't have it back? I have access to it back. So, but but now I have like ninety nine followers. Right. And what's, what's the password? <laughs> Do not. Uh, so I have soon. access to my thing back. Yeah. But it's just. 
It's starting from scratch. It's, it's completely useless, yeah. 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 I still have my blue check. That's all I care about, that's baby. Right, but baby. if they took my Instagram, then I would truly just jump off a cliff. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I have some Instagram questions. Okay, One, um, our friend, uh, our friend Do, who sometimes contributes questions to us and lets us use her pizza oven at her house. Do what up? True legend. She's got one of those rock box yeah. personal. What do you um, do on Labor Day? Nine hundred degree invite. What do you do on Labor Day, dude? She she, uh, she she cooks some pizzas. I think she did a foie. Ooh. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Shout out to your mom. Shout out to Do. Yeah, yeah. Big but Do always sends me like four million crazy questions. Yeah. And I'll, I pulled a couple that were interesting. First one: Is there anything more satisfying than eating in excess? Which was a good starter from what we've been talking about, like uh, Cheesecake Factory and such. I I, I like. I was talking. Um, to John Gabris, mm-hmm. who uh, I did his podcast. It's called High and Mighty. Love did, Gabe's. Love Gabe's, great guy. And he did an episode with uh, uh, him and I about leftovers. And mm-hmm. he was talking about how, like, there's no more satisfying feeling than going to bed, like, with a full stomach. Like, you, <laughs> like you, a, a night out, and you go, and you eat your burrito, and you go to bed, and you're just like, meh. Yeah. Like, other than, like... Having sex with a woman, right? That's about as good as it's going to get when you end. Yeah, but I definitely, uh, uh, I, I do this really, really. Sorry, mom. This, <laughs> I do this real fat boy thing, which is like Ooh. I try to, I try to chase the dragon. Like I try to find the best bite. You know what I mean? Like so, I think the last third of like if I'm eating a burrito, the last third is just trying to find the best individual bite to end on. Oh, amazing! And shit. I end up eating the entire burrito because I'm constantly looking for it. Sure. That's uh, fat boy shit. That's, oh. <laughs> that's conceptual. Yeah, yeah. Never, that idea or that, that process has never crossed so my mind. So years of therapy to, um, to unlock Oh, and we're never going to get through it. Yeah, we're never going to get through it. My, but like, this, this, I look the way that I'm supposed to look. Like, I could be healthier. But my older brother is six foot four and probably 340 pounds. Like, he's a real, no joke, lumberjack. Like, uh-huh. he looks like a fucking ox. The I've type seen, of guy you could hit, yeah. you could break a chair over his back, and and he turns around slowly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've seen that dude open a cardboard, open a cardboard box of cereal, open the plastic inside, pour milk out it, and eat it with a spoon until the box was gone. Mm-hmm. Like, so sick. I look the way I'm supposed to look. I might as well at least chase good bites. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, chasing good bites. So, so you'll so you'll spot the best your idea of the best bite in that one third of the burrito, and will you eat around it so then you have that bite as your last one? Yeah, it, it depends. I'm really just looking for like that sort of textural contrast, the flavor contrast, things that like are a little bit of everything of whatever that dish is in one, whether it's a burger or a burrito or a slice of pizza or something. What's your favorite and, food to get the the best bite? Ooh, I mean, I think it's got to be it's got to be like a. a Purely for best bite, it's got to be a quesadilla. Ooh. Smart. Yeah. Like Smart a carne asada, answer. al pastor quesadilla. Like right before you get to the end when you still got like, especially because it's got the sauce, the sauce on the side that you can just like dip in and control your own levels there. Like mm-hmm. right before it gets to just burnt crispy tortilla at the end, mm-hmm. that like second to last one where it's got a little bit of everything and I swipe it. It's, a little, it's, a, it's a little bit thicker. Yes, that's it. You know, I love it a little thicker. Of course. <laughs> Hell yeah. You're like, why is it so thick? I don't know. Just get in me. <laughs> um, and then also speaking of Jonathan Gold, she had a very, like full like stoner question she was talking about like wagyu beef mm-hmm. which if, if you don't know what that is it's like a, a very highly fatty marbleized japanese beef where the cows are massaged and fed beer and it's supposed to be the best yeah it's a little it's a little too melty for me if you ask sometimes but she was like what is the human 
correlation or the human version of of wagyu like where where on a like if you were to eat <laughs> human and you and you get the wagyu and i was thinking and i was like that's a fucked up question but yeah. i like it yeah i think jonathan gold's love handle Okay. If you just slice a little bit of no, that just off. a little slip. A little That's slip. got to be some real good marbling in there. Yeah, and one thing I think we're, we're missing out on is, is the other half of the equation, which you said is like, it's not just on any individual person. It's like, we got to pinpoint a person who's like ripe for the most marbling. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like a little seven, we fed this guy in an apartment for a year shit. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, that's That guy's it, got right? a good cut in him somewhere, for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. There are Wagyu calves that don't make the grade. Yeah. So it can't just be anybody. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> But I think I think like uh, yeah, it's got to be something that's like not too muscly, has a good amount of fat. Yeah, it's got to be right from the midsection because even like a thigh sure. or a butt, it's like those are all cuts that we know on pork to be stuff that you have to cook down over a long period of time and mm-hmm. pull apart and connective add tissue. To. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's connective tissue. It's also muscles just that a are ton being of used. Tight muscle. They're yeah. just used. What about just the side of a man boob, like the the part that is a little under the armpit? But just see, that little fresh, <laughs> that's what we call the oyster. As we all touch ourselves. But no, well, I was but just I, thinking, yeah, that's just sort of the chicken oyster of the yeah. whole thing. Well, I, so I was thinking oysters. I was, I was thinking like, you know, we sit sedentary lifestyles. It's yeah. like that, that lower back core muscle, that's what's gone. Yeah. So it's all coming off the midsection, yeah, front it's all or back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of... Uh, Slice some bacon off your back, Jay Gold. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, if, but if you come up too high, that's a little like prosciutto to Parma. That's going to be that. You got to slice it thing because it's almost all fat. Well, you know, it takes, <laughs> it takes a master butcher to, to achieve that cut, that, of you course. Can get it. You that can get whole, it. That whole muscle human charcuterie that Hannibal Lecter spends so much time thinking about. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh. Damn, what? dude, new favorite question. I'm going to ask every guest. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite... Until you get arrested? Or how many episodes favorite you cut of human? <laughs> and this is the... Uh, section of our podcast where we talk about eating humans. <laughs> this, is, this, this is the section of our podcast where you can hear the guests close the door yeah. behind them. Yeah. Who would you eat? This is the section we call well, you Who Would You Eat? We don't need to get the police involved, all right? Yeah, we've prepared a wheel of names. <laughs> um, okay, and then, I mean, how, where do you go from there? I mean, <laughs> okay, that had one. Okay, question. This one may be a little bit more for Andre. Uh, Miria asks, uh, she, she's a vegetarian, but she does eat fish. So no meat, no poultry. Looking for like an interesting, healthy protein dish that's like a little bit of fish protein with some, some veggies or some greens or something like that. Very sauce heavy, not rich. Keep sauce heavy, but, but not li- rich. Not rich, but like a, like a bright sauce. You know Something what I mean? bright. Something bright. I mean, I was going to say if you do like, a nice light fish poached in parchment paper mm. with, and then you finish that with a salsa verde or something with like a high acid somewhere mm. or something. But you get when you're, when you poach in, is it in packet? I'm not going to try and do it. In parcel? In parcel. I mean, there's the, the French term that means pocket. But when you do that and you're adding some slices of lemon, some garlic, some onion, anything, anything herbaceous. Splash of wet wine. And you have to, you need liquid to steam. It's not steaming in its own. So you use a little bit of white wine and then your wine choices from there. And then a little bit of olive oil. And then if you're using a little bit of butter, that's going to be something that's going to come together just naturally from itself. And it's incredible. It's, I mean, I, I don't know if she wants like a large family style dish. But she to, lives alone. But to, do that, but to do that dish and pack it and everybody kind of, you know, you, 
each get their ears at the same time and you open it up and that first like breath of what comes out of there is so intoxicating and amazing. Yeah. Uh, and it's I'm a fun cry, Farley. It's, Woo! A, it's a fun way to eat. It's fun presentation. A little white truffle at the end if you can afford sure. it, sweetie. Yeah. I mean, but that's... Probably, what about you? You're not a good cook, are you? No, I mean, I, I, there's some <laughs> things I like to cook, but I would not qualify myself as, like, any level of professional chef at all. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, uh, I come at it, obviously, from the restaurant angle. I would say, for my money, like, I double down on the acid brightness kind of side and go mm-hmm. with, like, uh, something from the, the Mexican seafood playbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to, like, a place like Whole Box that's now at the Mercado La Paloma, which is down by USC. Um, you know, this guy, Gilberto Satina, he did Chichen Itza for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Now he's just getting like amazingly fresh seafood from Baja, from the Yucatan. And he's just really doing super simple preparations that are acid forward, come with a little bit of salsa on the side, tostadas, ceviches, things like that, cocktails, like all that stuff that is just simple seafood based, got a little bit of maybe avocado for a healthy fat. And then you just like dig and go to town. Like you go to like the Valle de Guadalupe in Mexico, like in Baja, and that's mm-hmm. it's just wall to wall great casual seafood coming in from Ensenada mm-hmm. with a glass of white wine. Can't be beat. Hell yeah. Buy some fireworks, buy some Viagra. Yeah. Start a fire above I'm, Burbank, whatever. <laughs> I mean the other thing I w- you know well I'll, I'll I'll mention it later. When we get to the end. Okay, we're almost at the end. I know, I know. We're gonna um we're we're about to do the best thing we had all week. I wanted I, I, a question that you tweeted mm-hmm. That I thought was interesting. What food, question posed, mm-hmm. what food is the easiest to tell if it's good or bad just based off of a photo yep. of Ooh. that food? Yes. Yeah. Which is an interesting question. I liked it. I think, I think for me, I would say sushi. Oh. I think you can kind of... I don't, I don't know that I agree, but yeah. I, I think that's an interesting... I wouldn't have thought of it. If that. you see a roll, like some, you can tell by looking at a roll just sort of like how squished or not squished it is, the way it's lined out, the preparation of it, what kind of sauces are on it. Yeah, or if you, if you have like a nice close-up photo of a, a piece of sashimi or something like that, mm-hmm. you can kind of tell by how dry or moist it's looking, how shiny or not shiny it is, if it's kind of like a... I, I feel like I have a good idea of telling yeah. like, oh, that's a good quality fresh piece of fish or it's like a shitty kabuki kind yeah. of thing. yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I mean, and you've gotten, you've gotten to fucking sit on this question for a little while, so that's not fair, because this is an incredibly good question. <laughs> I know, I know. This is, like, blowing my mind, because I'm thinking about it. I mean, it's such a good question. But sushi popped into my it's head my question, instantly. So and instantly, I also, like, you thought sushi. No way. What are you talking about? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I'm going, but also, you eat more sushi than me. I was going to say, just off the top of my head, there's a million things that I'm thinking about, but Chinese food. Like, when you look at, like, Mapao tofu and you're like, oh, that's disgusting. It's probably going to be disgusting. But, or <laughs> if you look, like, at Szechuan garlic pork dish and it's just, like, just slop. Yeah. But when you see in a beautiful picture of Sometimes one that, I like the slop. that you can see, like, individual pieces of julienne vegetables and you can see the technique in them and you see the color of the sauce and the brightness is just not, like, gray or brown. I mean, I feel like usually you see a picture of really good chinese food and it's like oh yeah that's yeah. thoughtful it turns on a dime for it's you. like no. the, the i'm gonna go full disagree sushi has nothing to hide behind it <laughs> chinese food you could really put some lipstick on that pig yeah but you, you can, could you could be like this is the best looking picture of orange chicken i've ever seen and you're like 
Those are just rocks with sauce. You don't even know if it's chicken or rocks or like But the food like color that they meat. put into ahi to try and make it look pink. And I mean, there's all exactly kinds of right. I can oversaturate a photo and give you a different idea of the quality of that tuna than you, what you're actually getting in the finished dish on your plate. You, but you mentioned the shape of the rice. I mean, not everyone's an investigative journalist with Photoshop, okay? <laughs> That's I can fair. Just enhance. Enhance. <laughs> but when you see the types of vegetables and you see like the sizes of them, to me, that's kind of like there's a thoughtfulness in if the pieces are uniform in size or the types of vegetables or the whole vegetables like that mm-hmm. to me is like what I will look at and kind of be like, Oh, that's thoughtful. So what size vegetable is the most delicious? Oh, I don't know. I mean, come on. That's right. Variety don't is, know. Variety wow. is a spice of Got life. Got him in a corner. It's uh, more, <laughs> it's more about the effort and technique that to me would lend itself to something that seems so arbitrary as just a plate of Chinese food. Right. It, you don't know, except when you start picking apart like the thoughtfulness and its preparation, that means it's also to me probably going to taste really good mm-hmm. and it's not just going to be like ladle, ladle, scoop, right. fry. Right. I, I think for me, like a, uh, a cross section of a finished breakfast burrito is probably pretty. Because it's not just about. He also asked the question. That's true. But all right. I also, I, I, probably, think about, I probably think about breakfast burritos more than any other food. Like, sure. They're, they're a mental brain obsession of mine. But mm-hmm. I think you can tell how cooked something is, whether it's the bacon or the eggs or whatever, but also like the ratio of a breakfast burrito is so important. How yeah. much starch you're getting, what kind of starch, whether it's the big boiled potatoes or hash browns, like how much egg, how much protein, all of that stuff you can see in a cross-section of a breakfast burrito. Is the guac on the bottom or the top, or is it evenly see, spread? I, see, I go no guac. No guac in a breakfast burrito. I don't need it. Mm. Big sips for a Well, you know time. what? You know what? I'm... No, I'm halfway fine. there. I don't like guacamole in my breakfast burrito, but I do like whole avocado a lot. Okay. Yeah. Because I don't like what happens to avocado when, I mean, guacamole when it gets heated. And I also am very picky about my guacamole. But a ripe avocado handles heat better. Like thick slices of ripe avocado mm. to me handle heat a little bit better if you yeah. get to it quick. Maintains the coolness in the middle. And the texture I like a lot and more. We're talking about a, a little a more ripe, yes. well, well chosen ripe avocado. Just brown. Like, Just dark brown. <laughs> But I like my avocado to be almost basically just mashed avocado, right? Right. I don't like it seasoned, and I don't like any. I mean, so it's also I don't know. You're a purist, a little bit. Yeah. Speaking of, but cross- Jason also makes probably my favorite, oh. my favorite guacamole ever. And it's very simple. It's very simple. Both, both Stewart brothers. Shout out Stewie. Mm. Speaking of Stewart brother, my mm-hmm. brother Chris, who sometimes does this podcast, but he. Often does not have time to. Shout out Chris. Shout out to you. Shout out. Shout out Chris. He's the GM at Bad Mash. Yep. Maybe you know him. Um, But he invented this thing, which Mm -hmm. a breakfast burrito move that sounds kind of odd, but it ended up being really awesome, is you make a breakfast burrito. Normally, you roll it up, and then you slice it in half, but vertically. So it's like two, Mm -hmm. like like a baked potato. Yeah, yeah. And then you grill that. So then the bottom gets like a char to it. It gets a crunchy thing. Wait, I, gr- I grill the bottom or the open cut portion? The, the tortilla is, okay, is touching the grill, and then the open, the, the brains are yes, facing, facing, facing due north. Okay. Got and it. that way you get a full, nice cross-section of it, and then the, you're able to get the, the flame, smoky grill flavors into, into, more, into more surface area of the burrito. It sounds odd, but... But then you eat it with a knife and fork? No, then you'll just eat it like an open face sandwich. 
Oh, and it's and it sort of it sort of just maintains because it's got that grill. It's like thing. a tartine, yeah. And yeah. then the, the tortilla will end up crisping up, and it actually right, and it holds together. It's it's a strange thing that I that I think you should try exploring if you really are a, a, a breakfast burrito head. I'll say this: we spent a fair about amount of time on this podcast talking about eating humans. Mm-hmm. That guy sounds like a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> He he didn't do it on purpose. You're not, he not wrong. It. He accidentally stumbled upon this thing that ended up being a pleasant surprise. Is right. all I'm saying. Right. It, of of course it sounds insane, but I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And then he's like, "I had to do it because something something." And then right. I took a bite and I was like, "Oh my god, this is actually pretty tight." I have so many questions I want to ask you, but I want you to come back and just do a breakfast burrito podcast with us. So I don't want to spoil. You'd be doing me the biggest favor. Of okay, my life. all right. Done. I thought you never asked. I'm going to write some down though that are occurring because it's like there's seven things I want to ask you, but I'm like, wait, no, we got to get them to come back, mm-hmm. and that's how we'll, our gateway will yeah. be. We'll do it later. So usually, we, like obviously, we're not going to have beer this early in the day, mm-hmm. but if we do like a six o'clock podcast, sometimes we have snacks, we have beers. Mm-hmm. I'm in breakfast burrito. Yes, done. Yes. Heck yeah. Okay, now we're uh, the best thing that we ate all week, you guys. I'll start it off so you guys can think more about it. Sure. You don't even need to look at your Instagram? No. Um, a few days ago, you and your mom, Andre, took, took Shout me out. Shout out to Jill. Shout out to Jill. Love a Jill. <laughs> Love Jill. <laughs> She's an avid listener and contributor to this podcast, but she, uh, She's been on. she was nice enough to take us out to Alimento for dinner. Great. For your birthday. For my birthday, shout out to me and my life. But uh, the, my favorite thing there that's always good, the best thing was the tortellini and brodo there. <laughs> Top notch. It's incredible. There was a time in my life when I was going to Alimento twice a week. Mm. Like, un, unstoppable. Because what happened is I was writing full-time for Eater when I was also writing my book. And so that means I have to do whatever I do, 3,500 words a day or something for Eater, and then also try to find a way to write 60,000 words for books. So I'd get up early... And then I would do book work until my day job started, and then I would try to do book work at night. And then on weekends, I would Ooh. just write as much as possible on a Saturday. Your wife loved you. <laughs> my wife, thankfully, is maybe even busier than I am. Mm-hmm. She runs an LGBTQ nonprofit in West Hollywood. She's like a boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would write all day on Saturday, see her on and off, and then my brain would just be kind of mush by 10 o'clock or 8 o'clock at night. And I would go down and baby wants his bottle. I would sit at the bar, and they'd bottle me up a glass of wine and the tortellini, and I would just be... The happiest man. Mm-hmm. Like, that place saved my life in a lot of ways. Mm. That's a great answer. That has consistently been, I think, my favorite restaurant on the east side, I think, since it opened. Yeah. And I hadn't been in a little while. And it was so funny because it's the, one of those moments where, that, I mean, that was my, and, and is, I was reminded of it. But where I was like, is it as good as I remember? It's been so long. And, like, instantly I was just like, God And then liver pate like, hits your mouth and you're like, God, It wasn't God, only really? as good. I just felt sad that I hadn't eaten there in, like, six months. And right. I was just like, yeah. oh, man. You should do this more often. I haven't, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so, you good? Yeah. You done? Okay. So, I've got two because, one, I want to highlight this place because I thought it was really great. And I hadn't heard a ton about it. But, also, I found out about on Eater. Boom. But Lao Tao in mm-hmm. Chinatown Plaza, um, it's second floor, so it's kind of hard to walk by if you're going to Howland Rays and you're standing in line for four hours. You're not going to see it. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's Taiwanese street food, small menu. Um, basically, there's like six things on the menu that are appetizers, and those just get turned into bowls with a few more ingredients. On the weekend, they do a porridge, um, popcorn chicken, um, Taiwan-style sausage, 
uh, a bunch of things, a bone marrow soup, which could be served super dry. But my favorite thing was just simple pork steamed dumplings in yep. chili oil. And I, I think I ate pretty much everything on the menu. They had great uh, plum, plum dust uh, sweet potato fries. Um, what kind of dumpling was it? Just a pork dumpling. Just like a, like a half moon shape or a round guy or like... Yeah, I mean, kind of like a wonton. I mean, they're probably actually, okay. instead of dumplings, I should say wontons. They're kind of like what you would picture in a wonton soup, but instead mm. of soup, just served in kind of the Szechuan chili oil, mm-hmm. um, some mm-hmm. scallion, and a little bit of vinegar, mm-hmm. white vinegar in there. It was just, I, this was great. And I liked everything I had, but that was probably my favorite thing. I mean, the popcorn chicken was excellent. Um, okay. I do like that popcorn chicken there. I'm going to go there. But... I just want to say, because we were talking about fish earlier, the whole grilled fish platter that we had at Alimento was just, and it was like $31, which is yeah. not cheap. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm not tossing around 31 bucks. Like, oh, man, I get six. But, but it, big it, enough if, if for two, two people, people to split and yeah. an appetizer. So not an expense approachable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just like nothing, there was nothing that wasn't perfect on that entire plate. Mm-hmm. It was like a white bean puree and some things that was served on. And those platters change. Um, I forget the name of the fish, but it was just one of those moments it's where it's like never heard of. it's hard to beat a whole grilled fish when yeah. it's done perfectly. Yeah. It's like one of the greatest things on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deboned, but head on, tail on, and just incredible. Killer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that was... Yeah. And good for you. And good for you. Compared Didn't to many other, many other main dishes. Sure. Yeah. All right, Farley. I, uh, you guys know... This uh, situation, Trudy's Underground Barbecue. You heard about this? No. Guys, check eater. Oh, um, Trudy. <laughs> so, hey, that's how uh, I found locked out. Come on. There we go. That's Give right. me a little. Trudy's, uh, <laughs> Trudy's is an underground Texas-style barbecue operation run out of a driveway in Studio City by a guy oh, who, I have who heard about this. basically has no business being in the barbecue game, but it's just crazy enough to like really, really, really fucking care. Mm-hmm. His name's Burt Backman. He's partnering with the H. Wood Group. He's going to open a place called uh, Slab over on West 3rd Street. He's keeping kind of Trudy's for himself. Slab's going to be a little bit different. But on weekends, you can DM him. And when he's doing R&D, anytime you can DM him, show up in his backyard, three kids running around, and just eat what I think is, is literally the best barbecue in Los Angeles right now. So I hung out with him for a couple of hours yesterday, just kind of shooting the breeze, mm. talking about some different things. We're friendly. And he's working on some pastrami beef ribs right now. Oh, wow. Mm. For the new restaurant, or maybe he's going to keep for himself. He sent me home with a full pastrami beef rib that I ate standing up like an animal. <laughs> Unwrapped the paper and just, like... Did the Heathcliff where the just the bone comes out? You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that—that oh, that was hands down. I already think his barbecue is amazing, especially his brisket. But a pastrami beef rib that brined for five days was killer. It's mm. interesting for Texas barbecue too. Even Aaron Franklin will say like the hallmark is a beef rib, yeah. and it's the it's often the most afterthought, most mm-hmm. neglected, also incredibly hard to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've tried and not. I've Easily gotten good brisket up. results. I have not gotten like things that I would be proud of yeah. from a beef rib. They're hard to do. It's really, really hard. And especially when it's got that fully cured kind of pink interior and mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of that pull-apart nature like you get with a regular right. pastrami, mm-hmm. but it still holds together with the bark of a beef rib. Oh. 
The, awesome. I mean, it's like the, the best ones I've ever had. You're almost looking at like small portions of like prime rib, like well cooked prime rib. Once you get to the center of that beef rib, because it's not cooked through like a pork right. rib. I mean, right. there's like these steak elements to it when you can cook it well. And they also need to be like I tried it once with kind of like Albertsons bought beef ribs, where they need to be butchered well enough to be cooked well enough as well. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's part of sourcing. You know, like a lot of barbecue, but like you need enough meat and you need that not to be shaved off to really kind of have what that Texas beef rib is supposed yeah. to look like. Beef this, rib. this is a yeah, photo of it that exactly I took yesterday. It. Like, yeah. Jesus. It's really hard Damn. to find. Unreal. So good. So good. All right. Well, this underground place in Studio City is underground no longer. Hit it up. Now Trudy's that it's on this podcast. Underground underscore barbecue. Mm-hmm. DM them. Get on the wait list. Do the whole damn thing. Yeah, is that the thing? Is that so? I don't have any social media. So you direct message him and then pull up in the car and like somebody hands you like a like yeah, a styrofoam. Different people do it different ways. Yeah. Um, um, he's just a guy who kind of cooks and then other people happen to show up. He, it's almost like an afterthought. So right. you'll get to interact with him. When I was there, a kid literally who had gotten off a plane hours earlier from Thailand showed up. He's like, I've never had American style barbecue. I'm here with my girlfriend for three weeks. I followed you on Instagram for a year. Wow. He got a pastrami beef rib. So we had to not only explain the beef rib, but right. then go one level deeper to sure. explain pastrami. Go to Long <laughs> and watch this 22 year old kid standing in his driveway eating it. So, like, Right. That's that's so that's cool. how he does it. There's other people who you can. I'm um, gonna cry again. And then you made him go to Langer's the next morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's other places <laughs> where you can you can DM. This is what order. real pastrami tastes like. Yeah, yeah. So it just depends. Uh, some guys on Instagram will just be like, "Hey, here's my location for the day. Come out, and it's open for anybody." It just depends on how they want to run it. That's yeah. All. Well, Andre Paro does have no social media. I don't. If you want to follow me, it's at them jeans. You are over over under. Everywhere online. Over, over, under. Yeah. Non-food name. I, I like can, that. I can explain it if you want, but I, yeah, actually, it's easy. Uh, we'll do it. We'll tease it for the next time you be a guest on the show. The, the old-fashioned cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> what does this Instagram name mean? <laughs> and you could also just go to eater.la and... LA.eater.com. LA.eater.com. Yeah. I do have a book out. It's called Los Angeles Street Food, A History from Tamaleros to Taco Trucks. You can mm. get that. It's a real book. Hardcover, paperback. Hell my yeah. parents are very excited. They know what I do for a living because it's got my fucking name on it. <laughs> Mom, look! See? I did it. You did a mom thing. Yeah. That's great. Oh, I know what that is. You know what, guys? Shout out to everybody's mom. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Farley. Thank you. Bye.